Morning, everybody. I would love to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 2. We've been in this text, this story of Jonah for the last couple of weeks, and uh, this morning we are in chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there are red ones that look like this, somewhere on the road that you're in, uh, possibly in the seat in front of you. And Jonah is a bit, um, a bit sneaky, a bit hard to find in the back of the Old Testament. So Jonah's in page 844 on, in these Red Bibles, if, if you need that. And I, like, I, I sort of had this idea. We had never done a, a sermon on Jonah, a series on Jonah. But I had this, this thought as we, teaching pastors, we're, we're talking about this, that if we dive into it, if we like, really sort of unpack it and start pulling back some of the layers— that probably what we're going to find is a treasure that we haven't fully experienced before. That, thank you, I've been, thank you very much. Got something in my throat, so thanks, babe. Um, that we'll, we'll find something new that maybe our like, childhood ideas about this story and our understandings about the story of Jonah might be challenged a little bit. And we're actually going to see God speaking to us in some new and, uh, and really, really amazing ways. And I hope that's been the case for you. I know it's been the case for me. I've, I've really enjoyed this series so far. I really enjoyed Jesse preaching uh, last week. And uh, so I'm excited about, about taking this, this next step. This whole book of Jonah, it, we are using on this journey toward Easter Sunday, this season of the church year called Lent. It's a time of reflection. It's a time when we we look inward and we ask uh, open questions to say, God, would you search us and know us? Like, would you know what's really going on inside of us? And would you expose it to us so we can bring it before you, so we can bring it into your light, and you can, you can deal with it and you can transform us? That's what this season is about, because we want to be people who are formed in the way of Jesus. I mean, that, that's what we've said yes to. That's what we, we pray for, you know, with, with Harley. Uh, with, with Theo here, I'm little Harley, Theo. Um, it's what we pray for, is, is that this child w- will grow up to say yes to Jesus, to surrender his life to Jesus so that he can be formed in the way of Jesus. And, and part of that forming is, uh, we, we see in this season of the church year, when we look at harder things, we look at difficult things in, inside of us. And Jonah, I think, is, is an absolute... Um, it's a fantastic way of, of sort of opening those things up within us. So let's take a look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to be looking at the whole of chapter 2. It's only 10 verses this morning. But I want to start in verse 1. It says this, From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now let's just stop right there for a second. That's funny. I don't care who you are. This is like part of the way um, God inspires all different kinds of writing. And God inspires funny things. And this is, this is a really funny text. Uh, and we'll sort of unpack it a little bit more in a minute. But if you remember the first week, what we talked about with Jonah is one of the ways of understanding the story is as a prophetic parable. Uh, as a prophetic parable that God inspires parables in all shapes and forms. Jesus was a big fan of using parables to teach. Uh, he would teach crowds of people, teach his disciples by telling these stories. And then the purpose of the parable was not just so that we could say, oh, that was a really cute, memorable story. But the parable, what it actually does is it invites us. It, it almost kind of sneaks up on us and invites us into the story 
And all of a sudden, we're looking at it from a distance, and we say, ah, look at that person over there. That's, that's really silly. And then all of a sudden, the script flips, and we realize, he's talking about me. Like, I, I'm in the story. Um, and so Jonah, one of the ways of understanding Jonah is as this prophetic parable. It's, it's completely unique in all of the Bible, that there is no other book in the Bible like Jonah. It's a book of prophecy, but it's not God's words to people. It's a story about a prophet, right? So it's, it's, it's really unique. One of the ways uh, in the Old Testament prophetic parables are used uh, is with the story of Nathan and David. Uh, are you familiar with this story? So, so there was a King David, right? So king, the king was chosen by God. God had never intended for there to be kings in Israel. If you remember, this was a, this was a deviation. Um, human beings, God's people said, we don't want you, God, to rule over us. We want a human king. And God told them, hey, you're not going to like this. The king is going to oppress you, all of that. All, everything that comes with putting a person in that kind of power, you're not going to like it. We don't care. We want a king. So God says, okay. So he raises up this King David. And the reason he does it is because David's heart is soft. David says he's a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, um, but he, his heart was soft toward God, and that's what God wanted. But eventually, what started to happen, what usually happens with powerful people, is their heart starts to harden over time. Power starts to corrode the softness of a person's heart. And this happens to David. And so one day, David is there. He's, he's, um, he's out in his palace, and he goes out on the balcony, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing on the rooftop. And he says, hey, I'm a powerful man. I can have whatever I want. And he sees this woman created in God's image, and he turns her into an object to use for his own advantage. Right? And he uses his power, and he takes her, brings her to him. Uh, he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, and now he thinks, how am I going to cover these tracks? So he calls her husband, who her husband Uriah is one of his soldiers fighting on the front lines. Um, place David is not there. He's back at the palace living a comfortable life. Calls Uriah home and tries to pass this whole thing off on Uriah. Well, the plan doesn't work. Uriah won't go home because the rest of his friends are out in battle. And so David, all of it, like he's just making like this small decision, small decision, small decision. And these, these sins are just starting to pile up on top of him. And he doesn't repent. He doesn't turn around. He doesn't expose his sin. He just keeps covering it up. And so finally he, he sends Uriah back to battle. And he has the general say, I want you to work it out so that he gets killed in battle. It happens. Uriah gets killed in battle. Then David says, okay, it'll be fine. So he takes Bathsheba to be his wife then. So just like really sinister, really ugly stuff going on inside of David. Really abusive. So Nathan the prophet, right, comes to David and God sends him to David to confront him. But Nathan does it. He's smart enough not to just come and like just confront him to say, you did all of this, you're wrong, whatever. He tells him a parable. And he tells him this whole parable about a man who had everything he wanted. He was rich. He had flocks and herds, whatever. And there was this powerful man. And then there was this, this man who just, he, he didn't have much at all, right? He, he just had like one lamb. And this is a story. And then the, the man who was wealthy and powerful, he had this occasion where he, he needed uh, to feed people. And so he, rather than taking one of his own herds that he had plenty of, he wouldn't even miss it, he went and he stole the, the lamb from this one poor man. And David hears this, and he's, he's hearing the story from Nathan, right? And he's getting furious. He says, this is injustice. Like, this is, this is outrageous. And, um, and so Nathan, he gets to the end of the story, and David is furious and says, this man should be punished. And Nathan all of a sudden turns it on him and says, you are the man. 
And all the momentum of David's sin all of a sudden just hits him like a ton of bricks. Right? He realizes all, it's all exposed. Whatever. That's how parables work. And so one of the ways of understanding Jonah is, is, is this parable that all of a sudden it, it sneaks up on us and invites us inside the story so that it can transform us. So uh, just to review a little bit the story of Jonah, right? Jonah's a prophet of God, and God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the most vicious, the most powerful uh, place in the world. And he doesn't want to go. By the way, um, modern day, ancient Nineveh is really close to modern day Mosul, Iraq. And so you can, you can start to imagine, like, what if, what if God said to you today, said, hey, I really want you to go to Mosul and just live as a missionary for me in that place. You, you might have some, like, did I, did I hear you correctly, right? I mean, there might be something inside of you that would want to run away. This is what Jonah feels. So he, he runs away from God. He goes down to Joppa, and he finds a ship that's bound for Tarshish, paradise, right? It's the furthest place away from Nineveh that he could possibly find. So he boards a ship. He's headed in the open seas. He's, you know, the sea is in front of him, nothing but freedom. And all of a sudden, um, a storm comes up on the sea. And this, Jonah, by the way, he's surrounded by pagan sailors. And Jonah's the only person on the ship is is the idea that knows God. And he's surrounded by all these Gentiles, all these pagans. And all of a sudden, the captain announces to the ship, we need you all to pray. Now, here's the deal. This is how you know you're having a really, really bad day. Like, if you were on an airplane sometime this week, and... Somebody comes over, voice comes over the, the loudspeaker and says, this is your captain speaking, please pray. Like, you know things are not going well for you, right? This is a bad, bad deal. So the pagan uh, sea captain, he actually has to go down in the bottom of the boat because the prophet of God is, everybody else is praying like a sailor, and Jonah's in the bottom of the boat, and he's sleeping. The one guy who actually knows God is asleep in the bottom of the boat, and the pagan sea captain has to wake him up and say, pray. What are you doing? Call on your God. And so this whole thing is this kind of, it's kind of, kind of funny. Jonah wakes up. He doesn't pray, right? He refuses to pray. He, he says, um, just throw me overboard. Just kill me. I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm just kill me. So they pick him up. They throw him overboard. And Jonah is sinking into the depths of the sea. And the storm calms. And every sailor on the ship is praying and worshiping Yahweh, God, the one true God. Jonah, in his rebellion and disobedience and refusal to pray, becomes one of the most successful evangelists in history. Converts the whole ship. Now, Jonah, you think, like, the story's over. It's a tragedy. Jonah is sinking into the sea. His life is over. And then a Lord provides this giant fish to come and swallow Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And it's in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays. Finally. Jonah prays. I mean, that's funny. I don't care who you are, right? Like, he has no other options. And so, um, we, we, we can start to, the difference between comedy and tragedy, do you know what it is? Comedy is this tragedy from across the street, right? It's this perspective. It's just like, if it happens to you, it's kind of funny. If it happens to me, it's a tragedy. So, all of a sudden, what happens is, though, we start to see, I start to see, that I'm a whole lot more like Jonah than I like to admit. I mean, things are going good. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making, you know, maybe I'm making bad decisions. Maybe I'm, I'm just taking these little steps away from God. I'm running away from God. But man, the, you know, the world is 
wide open in front of me. You're on the open seas. The wind is in your hair or where your hair used to be. Like there's, you know, like it just feels like, ah, this is great. And then all of a sudden the momentum of your decisions start to stack up on you. And all of a sudden there's this storm. And we, we don't pray and we don't pray and we don't pray and we don't pray until we have no other options. Until all of a sudden our world has gone from really huge, we have all these options in the world, to like we're, 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 we're tiny, we're cramped, we've got seaweed around our heads, whatever else is in a, the belly of a fish, krill scales, I don't know. Um, and now, what do we do when we have no other place to turn? What do we do? We pray. I mean, this is our story, isn't it? This is, this is, this is what we do. And so, um, we, we learn from this. Everyone... Everyone prays in the end. The question is, do, do we, will we pray along the way? Will we turn? Will we come back to God when we're on this journey downward? I think Jonah could have turned around. He could have prayed at any moment, but he doesn't until he has no other place to run. All his options are gone. Now, it's in the belly of the fish Jonah prays. And uh, he has this beautiful prayer. Uh, take a look in verse 2. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, Jonah had been rebellious, he had been running from God, and, and yet he, he prays this prayer, and he says, in the middle of my distress, and whose fault was it that Jonah was in the belly of the fish? It was his own fault, right? I mean, he, he constant, constant disobedience, and, and yet he, he ends up here in the sea. He's not dead, but he's not even, like, living. He's, he's in the belly of this fish. He says, in my distress, I called to you, and he doesn't say, and you rejected me. And he doesn't say, you condemned me. And he doesn't say, you turned a deaf ear to me. He says, you answered me. Like, it, it's in this place, in the middle of Jonah's rebellion, the Lord, he calls to the Lord in his distress, and the Lord answers him. It, from the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I love that image. Um, And to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the, and the Lord commanded the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry ground. I've never preached a sermon where vomit was in the scripture for the morning. So I had to say, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so... Jonah, he's there in the belly of the fish. And here's the thing. How many of you, if you were in that place, you have no other options, you're surrounded in the belly of this fish, you have no other place to go, and you start to, to pray, would pray a prayer as elegant as Jonah prays here? How many of you are just like, yeah, I just got poetry, just like these poetic prayers just waiting to come out of me? Like, n- most of us, we don't pray. Like, when we're in a situation like that. That's not the prayer we pray. It's not elegant. It's not poetic. It's It's distress. Um, and here's the interesting thing about all of Jonah's prayer, verses 2 to 9. Nothing is original to him. Like, nothing is original to Jonah in this story. Every word of his prayer, every line of it comes from the Psalms. 
Now what Jonah does is he takes these psalms, and the psalms are the prayers of God's people, right? That's that's what they are. They're, They're the prayers of God's people. And Jonah has been so formed in the way of prayer through the psalms that when he's in this situation and he doesn't have the words to pray, How many of you have been in the situation where you don't have the words to pray? You don't know what to pray. Like the situation is so dire. It's just like you can't even pray. Jonah, when he's in this place, he prays the prayers that are inside of him. He prays the Psalms. And and I think this is a gift to the church. This is a gift to God's people to say, um, sometimes we feel like, well, all prayers have to be spontaneous. If it's spirit-inspired, it it has to be spontaneous. And I think, of course, there are going to be spontaneous prayers that just God inspires. We pray for felt needs. And and that's one kind of prayer. And it's good, and it should be a part of our lives. And yet there's this whole other part of prayer that I think we neglect, and it's being formed in prayer. And, And to say, what would it be like if we prayed the Psalms daily? What would it be like if, if our prayers were formed through the prayers of God's people that he inspired for us and gave us as a gift? Because what will happen when we pray the Psalms? They were, they were intended to be prayed. And what will happen when we pray them is they will lead us to the heights of, of the mountaintop experiences of life where we are praising God because things are fantastic and going great. Praise God with cymbals and dancing and clapping your hands. And There will be those kinds of prayers, but when we pray the Psalms, we will also, they'll lead us to the depths of the darkness of our own souls and to the hard experiences of life where we feel abandoned and we feel alone and the Psalms will teach us how to pray at all. Right? I think this is something we have lost as, as this kind of a, a church. Not just a journey, but the church has lost this. And I, I would just encourage you, I would invite you to say, make the Psalms a part of your prayer life because it will form you in prayer. And those moments when you get to the end of your opening and say, I have no idea what to pray, let the, let the, let the Psalms come out of you like Jonah does. This is, this is what he does. This is a gift, a gift here. Um, now, there are two kinds of psalms, um, two, two big categories. If you took all 150 psalms and you, you broke them down, you could break them into two big categories. One of them are, are psalms of thank you, like psalms of thanks. So you sit down at the meal, and all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting down at the meal, and you stop to say thank you. Why? Because there are people in the world who aren't going to eat today. And you realize, like, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for health, if it wasn't for all of these circumstances, I wouldn't be eating it. And so you just stop and you say, God, thank you. I don't want to take this for granted, this food that's going to nourish my body. Right? The, the Psalms of thank you. God, thank you for the gift of today, for springtime, for all of that. God, thank you. That is appropriate to pray. Now, there are the, there's a whole other chunk of Psalms that are not Psalms of thank you. They're the kind of prayers you pray when you have red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror. Right? I mean, how, how many of you are going to pray prayers of thank you in that? God, thank you for the gift of law enforcement. I know I was speeding, and so they're just revealing this to me. How many of you are praying those prayers? How many of you are praying prayers of help? Help! Please, 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 please. That's the, that's the prayer we pray. Um, it's prayers of thank you and prayers of help. Those, those are the Psalms. Now, if you were in the belly of the fish, which prayer are you praying? Are you praying thank you or help? Let's take a show of hands. How many of you are praying thank you? How many of you are praying help? Right. Do you know what Jonah prays? Thank you. All of his psalms that he chooses to make a part of his prayer are thank you psalms. Is that crazy? It's not, it's not a cry for help. It's God, God, thank you. Could it be that Jonah recognized the mercy of God's presence in the fish? 
I mean, could it be that like through the storm, through his disobedience, through all of these things, Jonah is just on this spiral downward and all of a sudden he recognized God, has, God is with me. God has spared me. God is here. And, and this fish, as uncomfortable as it is and being here in the belly of the beast, it is, it is a gracious gift from God that he has spared my life in this. So Jonah recognized God's, God's mercy in it. He prays prayers of thanks you, thank you. Um, I, uh, I, I came across this this week of these, these churches in Bohemia in the 1700s that they made their pulpits into these giant whales. It's like, is that cool or what? It's kind of like really gaudy and ornate. It's kind of maybe hard for you to see, but it's a big whale. And so what would happen is a pastor climbs up into the whale. I think we could do something like that, like right here. That'd be kind of sweet. And you, all of a sudden you sort of pop out of the whale's mouth and this is where you preach your sermon. Like this is a thing, right? Um, and, and it's like, what in the world does that mean? I think there's some symbolism to it, right? And, and the truth is probably until we've been in the belly of the fish, we probably don't have very much to say. Like until we've, until we've suffered in life, until we have recognized God's mercy in our lives, we probably don't have much to say. And so these like storms, storms have a way of revealing what's inside of us. I mean, storms have a way of, of, of kind of exposing all of the things that are inside of us. Suffering has a way of doing this. Where we, we kind of live distracted. We're, we're on to the next thing and we're chasing after these dreams and those ambitions. And all of a sudden when suffering hits, in whatever form it comes, all of a sudden those things fade away and what's revealed is what's truly important in our lives, right? How many of you have been in those situations? And, and suffering will also, it has a way of, of squeezing us. Like just the, the suffering that life brings to us. It's a bit like a, a sponge, right? You have no idea what's in a sponge until you squeeze it. And it's when, when all of a sudden the sponge gets squeezed and suffering does this to us. The circumstances of life, living in a broken, fallen world, it does this to us. It's suffering. There's actually nothing in the sponge, by the way. Um, but when it's squeezed, all of a sudden then you... You, you find out what's inside. And, and I, I worry sometimes that we can feel like God's highest priority is to make us safe and comfortable and happy. Um, that, that, that God's, the thing God wants for us more than anything else is to be safe and comfortable and happy. That that's the reason we've said yes to Jesus is because we've been, hey, you just trust Jesus and man, you're going to sail through life. There are going to be no more storms. And then it can be really jarring when a storm hits. It, it can be really jarring when all of a sudden we discover that the, the Bible actually doesn't promise us that. That, that it's going to be smooth sailing and we're going to live a life free from storms. But often the Bible says, you're, you're actually, you're going to suffer. Like, the suffering is going to be a part of life. It's a part of living in a broken and fallen world where we have an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, the New Testament will say things like, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Like, that there are going to be even times when choosing the way of Jesus, choosing to go against the current in a world that's going this way is going to lead us to some suffering. Because we're, we're living out a different kind of lifestyle. 
And so I, this is one of the things I worry about, that when all of a sudden, when we, when we live with this idea that, no, 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 storm, Jesus is going to just, just take me safe through all the storms, and the storms are going to pass me by, and then a storm hits, we think, well, may, the promise wasn't true. Well, the, it was never God's promise. I just want us to be honest about that. That God's highest priority is not for us to be safe and comfortable and happy. God's highest priority is that we would be formed in the way of Jesus. That we would be formed with a character that is mature and complete. And while I don't have a theology that says God sends the storms into our life, I have a theology that says, and I believe the scriptures teach us, that God is always present with us in the storms. And that God is so good at bringing his presence into the storms and into uh, our lives in the middle of our suffering and redeeming it and bringing good out of what Satan intends for evil that, uh, that we end up looking back and we say, man, God was, God was with me in that. And it transforms us. You see, storms reveal what's inside of us. They did it for the disciples. And, oh man, I gotta wrap up. Uh, in Mark 4, story of Jesus on the boat with his disciples. And the storm comes up, and where's Jesus? He's sleeping in the boat, right? He's there, he's with them, he's in the storm, in the boat, and they, they freak out. The storm reveals, it starts to squeeze them. doesn't say God sent the storm, but the storm is there. Jesus is with them in it, and the storm starts to squeeze them. And you know what comes out? Anxiety and fear and misunderstanding and questions. And they wake Jesus up and they say, didn't you know? Like, why don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Like all of this. And Jesus says, why do you, why do you still have so little faith? And he, he stands up, he speaks a word, and he, he calms the storm. Jesus is with him in the middle of the storm. Two chapters later, in Mark chapter 6, there's a, the disciples are tired, they're, they're hungry, they've been ministering to broken people all day long. In fact, they had been, Mark 6 says the disciples were tired and hungry, and Jesus says, come, come find some rest. You, you guys need a break, right? You need some downtime. Let's take a holiday. So they, they, they go off, and these crowds of people surround them. Come find them. And what does Jesus do? He starts to minister to them. And what do the disciples do? They're pulled into ministry. They're tired. They're hungry. They start caring for people. They, Jesus miraculously feeds all the people. And the disciples are the ones who have to distribute the food. Then they have to pick up the leftovers. And they finally get to eat some of the leftovers. So they're exhausted by this point. And then Jesus looks at them and says, Hey, I want you guys to go get into the boat and head to the other side of the sea, the other side of the lake. And I'm going to go up on the mountain and pray. They get in the boat. They, they start heading to the other side of the lake. And it says this furious wind was against them. They're headed into the wind. And Jesus is praying on the mountain, and he says he sees them battling the wind all night long. The wind is not a surprise to Jesus. Um, he, he, it's not like he looks up from prayer and he says, oh my goodness, they're, they're, they're in this wind. I'm going to go save them. It's not a surprise. Jesus sees them. He knows that they're okay. He, he, his presence is in that way there with them the whole time. And it says, all night long, the battle of the wind, and about the th- fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus gets up, and he goes out to them, walking on the water. And here's where it gets crazy. He says, the text says, and he intended to pass them by. See you guys. Good work. Keep up the good work. See you on the other side. I'm taking the shortcut. Um, Jesus intends to pass them by. What in the world? Like, he, he didn't intend to get in the boat with them. The text says very clearly he intended to pass them by. And then they freak out again, right? They say, like, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. Again, the storm, it reveals their anxieties, their misunderstandings, their questions. And Jesus, in the middle of their fear, he looks at him and he says, take courage, don't be afraid, it is I. And Jesus gets in the boat, he changes his plans, gets in the boat, and the storm calms. 
Was it Jesus' intention to calm the storm? Or did he just respond to their fear and their anxiety? Was it Jesus' intention to pass them by, to remind them in the middle of this wind, to say, I'm with you, you got this, you're not alone, don't be afraid. In fact, the thing Jesus says to the disciples when they're in their exhausted state, he says, take courage, it is I. In Greek, this is the word ego, a me. And it's literally translated, I am. And some of you who are familiar with the Bible will know this is the most holy, most intimate, most personal name of God, I am. In the middle of the storms of life, in the middle of the wind, when we feel alone, we feel <clears throat> like, um, like we're abandoned, like God doesn't care, we hear the words of Jesus coming to us saying, take courage, don't be afraid, I am with you. I am with you. Jesus, we, this morning, God, some of us may be in the storms in, in whatever way, and we feel squeezed, we feel afraid, maybe it's revealing things inside of us that we're just not very proud of, that we, we have these, this, this darker side that we'd like to admit. And so, God, we just, we just come to you like Jonah and we want to recognize your mercy, your presence in the middle of the storm. God, we want to open ourselves up to you. We want to hear the words, uh, Jesus, that you say, I am. I am with you. I'm for you. I am on your side. You're going to be okay. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus, if we have had an idea of what it means to follow you, that life is going to be safe passage, comfortable and happy all the time. God, we pray that we would surrender that idea and God, that the truth, that the promise that's given to us as your people is that you are always going to be with us. God, whatever happens in this life, God, I pray that that would bring us comfort and hope in the middle of whatever it is we're facing and whatever it is we will face. Thank you for your love and your assurance in Jesus' name.